This next guest has just, in her short four years of working as a med SLP, has so much experience already, and she's just really driven. She's going to be so much fun to talk to. Her name is Marie Severson, and she is a medical SLP practicing since 2017. She's the owner of Madison Speech Therapy, an adult-focused private practice in Madison, Wisconsin. Marie primarily works with adults in acute care, inpatient rehabilitation, home health, and outpatient private practice. She is also a writer for the Informed SLP, which is a great, great website. We're going to talk about that in our podcast. She's interested in all areas of medical SLP, including dysphagia, aphasia, and cog-com disorders, particularly in post-stroke neurodegenerative diseases and TBI populations. She's passionate about serving students and professionals through her state association, supporting early career clinicians, promoting evidence-based practice, and person-centered care. So let's talk with Marie. Hello, and welcome to the Missing Link for the SLPs podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part of the Medical SLP series where we talk to some amazing speech paths who work in a variety of medical settings, all the way from intensive care through to home care and everything else in between and beyond. You're going to hear some incredible medical SLP stories and lots of advice from these passionate medical SLPs. We should introduce you first. You are Marie. That's right. Marie. Yes. Um, Marie Severson out of Madison, Wisconsin. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm a medically-based speech pathologist. I've been working for about four years, and I've worked in many different settings at this point. I think pretty much every setting. Um, I've worked in skilled nursing, inpatient rehabilitation. Um, I've worked in acute care, home health, and I own a private practice. How on earth did you do all of that in four short years? You know, I don't know. Um, I think I spent a lot of time on it. I I really haven't slowed down at all until very, very recently. Um, so I just, I kind of knew coming out of grad school that I was going to need a lot of additional coursework and training and practice to be a medical speech pathologist. So I kind of just got right on it. I started taking courses. I've been taking CEUs pretty regularly for the last four years without without really stopping just because I feel like there's always something to learn. Um, and I've just, I've set a lot of goals for myself and I'm, I think I'm just a goal-oriented person. So I think it just kind of comes naturally, um, but I have really uh, stuffed a lot into a short period of time. So now I'm sort of looking to more focus what I'm working on. Um, so I actually recently left my full-time job in inpatient rehab, and now I work in, I have five different smaller gigs. And so I like that I get to sort of um, try out things here and there and sort of on my own terms and work on my private practice. So I think the first several years of medical speech pathology is just getting your bearings and figuring out and making sure you know it all, because you really do have to know it all for the most part. Um, and then for me personally, I was able to slow it down a little bit after a significant amount of time and practice and training. Why did you become a speech pathologist? Well, I, I knew I always wanted to work in the medical field. I actually wanted to be a surgeon when I was a little girl. 
Um, I started college and I, like a lot of people, I think, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I thought I wanted to work in the medical field. I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, I started nursing school. It just, it wasn't working. I really wasn't at a good place really yet to be focused at all. So um, eventually I came across a colleague, I was working as a nanny and she worked as, she was going to speech, she was going to school to be a speech pathologist. I think she was in graduate school and she said that I could work in a hospital and I had no idea that speech therapists could work in hospitals like so many other people, I think, don't know about that, don't know about us. Um, so I just took the intro course and I really liked it. And so I just decided, um, I'm the kind of person where when I decide on something, I just kind of, that's it. I've decided and I give it my all. So ever since that day, I was, I just knew I was going to work in, as a medical speech pathologist. It wasn't even a question whether it would be schools or medical, pediatric or adult, really. I felt like it was going to be pretty much adult medical and I loved it. So, and that's obvious and you've set your goals and here you are. One thing that strikes me about your story is you are not a speech pathologist who feels stuck. You will move and go where you want to move and go with your career. How did you develop that bravery, that confidence? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, you're absolutely right. You're reading me well. I'm clearly very transparent. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate feeling stuck. Mm -hmm. um, I think it comes from my upbringing. I think it comes from being a really resilient person. I, I had to overcome a lot as a child and young adult. And because of that, I feel like I always have a sense of knowing what it could be like to be stuck or to be in a situation that I don't want to be in. So that really motivates me. I, I know that I, I really want to work hard and I want to move forward all the time. And I know that it's, it's easy to have that interrupted or affected by other things. So if I can just work on it on my end, I can just do as much as I can to move myself forward and not be stuck. It's, it's honestly, it's more of a sense of I, I can't be stuck versus like, I don't want to be, it's just like a natural internal thing. And if mm -hmm. I come across a situation that doesn't align with my values or makes me feel like I'm not doing the right thing, then I know it's not the right place for me. And so I'm always I'm always the person to speak up or try to change something so that it it matches what's you know the right thing to do, whether that be patient-centered care or you know work-life balance or treating therapists well, things like that. I really believe in those types of missions. A, a lot of other speech paths do, but as well, and and yet so many people don't move forward. Hence the transitioning piece for a fresh SLP, mm -hmm. I hear so many, and, and, and you may be transparent and I may be reading you well, but I know of so many speech pathologists who get, who do get stuck and they want to do what you do. And they can say, I do, I have these values and I have this and I have that, but I really see you doing that. And, and it's just really inspiring. Thank you. I think I've, I've found inspiration from other people that I, you know, whether it be speech therapists, you know, online and the social media mm -hmm. forums, or whether it be clinicians and researchers that, you know, have, are sort of out there expressing how important it is to do A, B, C, or D for whomever. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's very challenging to be, to be confident and focused and being willing to take a risk. I think right. that it's not easy for speech therapists, especially medical speech therapists, because those jobs are in high demand. So I think it's easy to 
I think a lot of medical speech therapists are told like, hey, you got a pretty good gig here. And and if you don't want it, that's fine because someone else will take it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to remember that you're valuable and there, I, I don't believe that there should have to be a sacrifice between good patient care, taking care of yourself, you know, making a difference, work-life balance. I think that it should be better. And because I think that so strongly, I think that's why I live my life like that. You know, I want other people to feel similarly that they might have to wait a little while, or they might have to take a few risks, but if that's what they really want, we can kind of work together and show it that, you know, we're valuable clinicians and we're valuable employees and we should be treated as such. I love that strength. I love that strength. There are so many, um, it seems like every once in a while, social media goes through these cycles and we go through the cycle of, um, right now we're in teacher appreciation week. And so many of the speech pathologists on social media are not getting recognized in their schools. And, um, you know, we do as a profession need to advocate for ourselves. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the skill and the value that we bring to a medical team or a school setting, for example. Absolutely. I think it's very, I hear about it all the time, like, oh, speech got forgotten. And I think that, you know, usually we're a small team. Like for example, in my, my home health job, there's only one SLP and then there's a per diem. And when you're just such a small team, if you don't advocate for yourself, it's 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 by no one's intent, but you might get forgotten a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well said. So you are part of the series of Day in the Life of a Medical SLP, and you have mentioned several settings that you practice in. Um, would you like to tell us about a day in the life of some of those settings? Sure. How does, where did your day start? How does it end? Mm-hmm. Who do you see? Who determines your schedule? Yeah. I. Where would you like me to start in a certain one, or you, I'll just pick. Sure. Let's start with the um, let's start with the acute care and move along the continuum and end up more at the well. We'll have home care in the middle, and then maybe tell us towards the end about your private practice. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic route. So I'll start with acute care. Now I work at a level four acute care hospital. So in my area, there are acute care hospitals that have higher acuity levels, but I don't work at that one. So the the people that I see in my acute care are still sick, but they are not um, as sick as some people in the level one and two hospitals in my area. But um, a day in the life for me, you know, I'm a per diem acute care speech pathologist, which means that I work infrequently, which also means that I have to be very mm-hmm. cognizant when I come back in to make sure that I remember what's going on, that I'm really focused on top of my game because mm-hmm. acute care is, to me, it's the highest stake setting. I am 100% focused the whole time. I am always looking at what I'm doing. I'm always thinking to myself, does this make sense? Is this safe for the person? you know, because I'm coming in and I'm coming out. So as a per diem therapist, it's really important to always be focused on, you know, making sure that you're helping the team and doing the right thing. But in acute care, really focusing on what you're doing, does it make sense for what the patient needs at that time? So I come in and I'm generally the only speech therapist working. And I am, my first job is to triage patients that are on So sort of the list. So these are new consults that are on the list that I have to decide who needs to be seen because oftentimes um, there are patients that need new evaluations and then there are patients that are already being seen and could potentially need some follow-up visits. 
So for those that are on the are on the first list of getting an evaluation, of course, I'm looking for those patients that have swallowing evaluation needs. And then the ones who are on a significantly modified diet, like NPO, they're not eating at all. Those are the ones that I see first. Um, the patients who are on a diet but need a swallow evaluation, I typically see after that. So the ones who need me the most are the ones that are not on a diet. Typically, doctors and nurses are asking, can they take their medicine? You know, we, you know, we, they really need to swallow eval. Right, everything's consulted until you see them. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I know that about acute care, it's very important to see the swallowing patients first. So I see them first. Um, I'm typically, I do a lot of swallowing in acute care. That's where I do the most swallowing evaluation and treatment. And it's generally evaluation. It's generally clinical bedside swallowing evaluations. I would say 90% of what I'm doing with swallowing is a really thorough CSE. Um, now in acute care, it's different because they have a lot of other needs and they might be on different supplemental oxygen. They might be in the ICU. They have a lot more considerations and that's why being in a Q-care SLP requires so much additional coursework, training, and just experience to get familiar with some of those terms. Um, so I'll do a clinical swallow evaluation. I'll make my recommendations. Um, I might see, let's see, I typically work a, a half day or a full day, but weekends. Yes. I work the weekends. I try to work on the weekends cause I was working full time during the week. And so, um, I was working often six, six days a week, a lot of weeks. Um, but again, I really like it. So I enjoyed it, but it was a lot. So, um, it's mother's day today. And my husband's like, why are you doing a podcast <laughs> on mother's day? And I'm like, well, cause it's, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. And I think that's, <laughs> my husband asked me the same things. He's always like, oh, you're doing this another additional thing. <laughs> fully, I fully uh, hear where you're coming from, Maddie. <laughs> um, so I'm doing evaluations. I'm doing a little bit of treatment, but mostly I'm doing clinical swallow evaluations. And I'm probably seeing three to four people in a, in a half day. Um, I, I think that the core speech therapists are a little bit quicker. Um, I just tend to be a little bit slower because I'm a per diem therapist. So it takes me a little bit longer. I don't have that like muscle memory that someone who works there every day would. Um, But I'm trying to be cognizant of, you know, productivity and I'm trying to be cognizant of the triaging. So you really have to have a lot, a lot in your mind at once. And you have to be really good with your executive function skills to sort of make those determinations and then do the appropriate follow-up, change the diet orders, write the notes. Um, There's so many things to consider in every different setting. Each each hospital, not even each setting, but each hospital you work at is going to have a different culture, and that culture is going to dictate how you practice. And so you have to find a way to still be true to yourself and do the best for the patients while also being a good team player and being respectful of the culture that's in whatever hospital you're working at. So that takes a lot of additional um, brain space that if you aren't sort of already feeling really confident with your skills, that might be a big challenge because you need those extra, that extra mental energy to do that as well. Um, so acute care is pretty fast paced, even though the, the productivity tends to be lower. I still find myself just as busy as I am in other higher productivity settings. So in the place that I work, the per diem therapists do not do any imaging study. So I don't do any video fluoroscopy that's not common 
to other hospitals. So in other hospitals in my area, the per diems are trained to do video fluoroscopy. But again, there's that caveat where if you're only doing video fluoroscopy like two Sundays a month for a half day, it's really, I would, I can imagine why they don't train me because it would be hard to keep up on those skills. I'm pretty much just kind of triaging. I'm making sure everything is stable and ready for the therapist to come back on Monday and continue the plans of care. But for a new speech pathologist who feels comfortable moving into that, that might be a way to start into the medical setting. Yes? Absolutely. And in fact, I started I started in acute care. How much experience did I have? So I started as a per diem right about a year and a half into my career as a speech therapist. But like you said, though, you're the only one there. So if there's a speech pathologist listening to this podcast, he or she would really have to really like, I know you write for an, the informed SLP. You join um, the Med SLP Collective. You, you join Fresh SLP. You join um, Leanne Porter, Dysphagia Cafe. Um, you would find all of these wonderful resources and community that is going to help you learn and be that support because you're not going to have it in the medical setting because you're the one showing up. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And everything, all of the the organizations and, and people that you just mentioned, are the, those are the ones. I mean, I was there from day one with Swallow Your Pride podcast, driving all over to my different skilled nursing facilities, <laughs> listening, going, I just need to learn it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there wasn't as much out there four years ago. I think I've really watched this incredible boom in knowledge sharing and just collaboration across social media and on the internet that really Mm -hmm. started right as I finished grad school and is just amazing for new clinicians. I feel so happy for new clinicians that have access to these resources now. Yeah. And the mindset's changed. You're right. It's a much more of a collaborative effort, much more friendlier settings. Absolutely. Next setting. Next setting. Okay. So after acute care, someone might then go to inpatient acute rehabilitation, which can look like many different things. So Inpatient rehab can look like a different wing in the acute care hospital, or inpatient rehab can look like a freestanding inpatient rehab facility that's focused on inpatient rehab, or people who work in skilled nursing might have a rehab wing that's Mm -hmm. called rehab, but I'm specifically talking about a freestanding inpatient rehab hospital because those hospitals have a different set of rules that they play mm-hmm. by for Medicare mm-hmm. than the other settings. And so, a different schedule. Oh, absolutely. Very different schedule. So whereas in acute care, you are making your schedule and you are just fitting your patients in where you can, now we bounce over to, um, well, and again, it's different in every freestanding rehab unit as well. So we have two in our, in my state. We have the We have two different rehab hospitals. I work at one of them. And mine is is owned by a a big company. So again, anytime your facility is owned by a big company, you might have a different type of a setting or culture. So in my inpatient rehab hospital, we see a caseload of patients and each day we make our own schedule for the next day and our sessions are back to back. So we have about six to six and a half hours of patient treatment every day. Mm-hmm. And generally on, on a, a person's caseload will be about between five and seven patients. 
Sometimes it's a little bit more and it gets a little hectic. Um, but the way that this day start, starts, it's very structured, very, very different from acute care. So I start out with a certain amount of time that's blocked in the morning for me to get ready, chart review, plan for my day, um, answer my emails, anything, like everything I would need to do to get set up and get ready, grab materials. Then I have, and, and again, I do have some control over my schedule. So I might schedule myself for like four hours straight of treatment, or I might you know, not, and I just want to do two or three hours, but I typically would schedule myself for three to four hours straight of treatment. And I'm typically seeing patients for an hour, or I could also see them for a half hour. Sometimes I split their sessions up where it's two half hours. I've also seen patients for 90 minutes, but in general, these patients are getting three hours of therapy every day. So that's, that's the requirement. And that means they might be getting one hour of PT, OT, and speech, Sometimes they're getting an hour and a half of PT and OT. Sometimes they're getting 90 minutes of speech, half hour of PT, hour of OT. The nice thing is that we can make it work for the patient. And we work really collaboratively where if someone doesn't have a lot of PT needs, maybe we can bump up their speech therapy time so it's a little more patient-centered. So that's my morning, getting ready and seeing patients. And then in the afternoon, we have lunch and we have um, a interprofessional collaboration meeting called team conference and team conference is a fantastic opportunity to get the entire team together and discuss a patient case. And every week our patients are teamed. We call them, we have our meetings once a week on each patient. And these teams include all therapists, the nurse, the case manager, the doctor, and sometimes a member of a quality control team who's sort of, you know, making sure that, because you have to kind of, the medical field is always dictated by numbers in some way, shape or form. So there's always somebody present who's like thinking about the numbers and someone who's present, who's thinking about the patient and, you mm -hmm. know, the case manager's there to talk about what's going to happen when they discharge. So it's very collaborative. And that's a one of the best parts of working in inpatient rehab is you absolutely have to work together. So you, you're, you're always relying on your, your teammates and your counterparts. So those meetings can last anywhere from a half hour to an hour. And then generally you have either a half hour, an hour of a lunch break. Then you see your patients in the afternoon, and then you have a little time at the end of the day to finish up your notes. So it's always some variation of that. And you get, a, I think you get a decent amount of time to get your, to get what you need done, but there's also a lot more that you're responsible for. There's a lot more care coordination that happens in inpatient rehab than in other settings. And there's also a really, really, at least in my hospital, a very, very high standard of care, high standard of therapy. Um, everybody that I work with really wants to do the very best. Mm -hmm. And so we're always going above and beyond. And that takes a little bit of extra time. Um, so we find ourselves very busy, um, very engaged, very excited. Um, we see our patients make fantastic progress. It's a really wonderful setting um, to get experience across the entire SLP continuum. An important distinction to make is when you're working as an acute care SLP, the medical needs of the patient are paramount. So your schedule is dictated 
on if that patient is even available for a clinical swallow evaluation because they may be NPO pending a study. So then you've got to shift them. The setting you're talking about, the inpatient rehab, um, they're medically stable now, so their rehab is now the focus. And hence, that's why the schedule changes. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And that's such an important um, distinction to make between the settings. Yep. Yeah. Tell us about your home health then experience. Absolutely. So I have always really enjoyed the functionality of working in the patient's home. And that's what really drew me to home health. Um, What I realized in home health was, oh my goodness, you have to be the most independent speech therapist you could possibly be. You have to be confident. You have to be organized. You have to be proactive. (laughs) You have to, you're always putting yourself out there. So you are in charge of everything. So really you're in charge of um, calling the, to get orders for a patient. You're in charge of scheduling an evaluation, which means calling and coordinating that schedule with the patient. You're in charge of keeping track of your driving time and setting up your day so that you have enough time to get everything done at the end of the day. So for me, a day would look like I start my day at home in the morning and I love that. I get to be on my, on my computer. I might make a few phone calls. I'm probably going to um, prepare a few things for the day. Then I hop in my car and I drive to one or two sessions at people's homes, which is wonderful, by the way. I have I've really not had any negative experiences so far. Um, I haven't been working in it too long, so <laughs> I want to put that out there. But um, it's really wonderful to be in a person's home. It's a very personal thing. You really develop a close bond. Mm-hmm. You can do very functional treatment. Um, and probably two sessions or three sessions into my day, I'll stop and I'll take a lunch. I might stop at a park. Um, I might stop home sometimes if I have a little bit more of a break. So again, that's really nice. Um, And then I'll finish out my day with two or three more sessions. And then I'm going to end my day at home. And again, so maybe I'm starting with my first session at nine or 9.30. I'm going to get home maybe 2.33, And I still have time to finish up my day from home where I'm doing, I'm probably making some calls to the doctor. I'm, I'm probably calling some of my call, my colleagues back because you don't get that face-to-face with PT and OT. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very proactive. So again, that's why you have to be extremely independent in a way that I am actually finding that there's some growth opportunity there for me. Even as someone who has four years of experience, I'm used to being independent, but boy, have I really found that you have to be, you really learn a lot, how to be confident, sure of yourself and collaborative in a whole different way. So home health is great, but make sure that you feel very confident in your clinical skills and your interpersonal communication skills. Probably not the best position for a brand new clinical fellow because you simply don't have the support. No, it's... Ask those questions. No. But I I know people have asked and I'm sure people have done it and have done all right. Yeah. You know, you make it work with what you have, but if you can, if you can avoid it and come into home health when you're feeling really good, it'll be such a good experience. So we're moving right along. Um, Tell us about your private practice. Okay. So (laughs) I, as someone who feels very passionately about patient-centered care and as somebody who really likes to do things in the way that they think is best. If anyone can relate, let me know. Um, hmm. I found that I I absolutely love working on a team. It's not an issue of that at all. Um, but I found that there were 
there were barriers to me giving the patient care that I wanted to give, um, mm-hmm. whether that be time, you know, budget, other sort of like pressures related to the day. Um, there are a lot of barriers that can be there. And again, every hospital is different. So you might not find this in yours. Um, but, and they're not, again, they're not deal breakers. This isn't saying that you can't, you can't get what you need from, from an actual setting. Cause I absolutely do. But there's something about being able to say this patient needs this and I can give it to them without anyone telling me no, um, is why I wanted to start my private practice. Um, I saw that there were patients who would discharge from inpatient rehab, but there would be a six-week waiting list for outpatient therapy services. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, darn, because those people want therapy and they deserve therapy, but because of scheduling, they can't have it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or people who whose insurance has stopped paying for their therapy and they have severe aphasia, they want to keep working on it. There's, there's gains to be made, those types of patients. Otherwise, patients who can't leave their home easily to go to outpatient appointments mm-hmm. or outpatient scheduling is only offering once a week when really they could benefit from two times a week or three times a week. What I've noticed is that the system of healthcare dictates what our patients get not actually what's beneficial. And I also just want to say there is really, there's not a lot of literature that says how much treatment patients need in order to get better. I mean, I've read research studies that say in order to get better in this area, these patients had um, 20 hours of speech therapy for six weeks. And of course, that's not reproducible in any setting. Mm -hmm. But with private practice, you can at least try to offer people a little bit more that matches maybe what they need without the barriers of a system that kind of tells us how to dictate our practice. So do you take private pay only then? No. So because I work with adults, if they are of Medicare age, I have to bill Medicare. So I work with, a, I work with mostly Medicare aged patients. So I bill Medicare, which is a really challenging component of owning a private practice. I think that's important to know before you do it. You could take private pay if you were seeing someone under the age of Medicare who's not on Medicare or someone who Medicare isn't going to cover the services for, but they still would like to pay. So there's flexibility there. um, But a lot of patients that I'm seeing are people that are retired on fixed income. So billing insurance is really important to them just for them to be able to afford it. Sure. So in the few minutes we have left, this has gone so fast, so fast. I'm most interested about, you see, I'm a writer. I write over a million words a year. I'm ready for a new computer. My husband's like, are you getting the same one? I'm like, no, I need a workhorse. You are a writer as well. Tell us about your writing. Tell us about your writing. Well, I'm going to be completely transparent here. I didn't know I was a writer until I got this job. And that might sound really bizarre. Um, so I I was um, a reader of the informed SLP for it, since the inception of the adult um, section. And I have always absolutely loved what they do at the informed SLP. I thought this is fantastic. I don't have time to read the articles. I need to just know what I can take back with me. I need to do this on Monday. So real quick, the Informed SLP is a website. You know it better than I do. So briefly tell us. So the Informed SLP is a an organization of 
writers and researchers who take the literature that's out there related to a certain topic, adults, kids, um, dysphagia is the one that I'm focused on. And the writers read the articles and they write a review that's clinically actionable for a therapist. What that means is you could go ahead and use it on Monday or you can use the information. You don't have to read the whole article. So they kind of do all that legwork for you, which is fantastic. You just, you kind of read it and go, which is really nice for especially new clinicians. But um, I decided to apply on a whim. I didn't think that I was really, this sounds weird. I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think that I was going to be good enough, but I auditioned. I, you, you have to sort of apply for it and um, you have to do some writing for them. And they liked my writing. And I'm so glad because they really value clinical perspective, not just, not just a researcher who hasn't ever been in a clinic, which they have a very important perspective as well, but they really value the clinician perspective and I'm writing for the clinician. So it's been great so far. I've really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it to new clinicians and clinicians that have 30 years of experience. I would, I would too. And it's a subscription-based program and the prices are just like, oh my gosh, so reasonable. And you go and you sign up for whichever category you one or two, or I signed up, I have two. I don't, I, you cover, there's three categories, I think. Yeah. Yep. And I don't, I don't do the little pre, I don't do the itty bitties for the little kiddos. Um, but yeah, fantastic. Mm. I would, that would be a fun job getting paid to do what you love. <laughs> it is, it is really fun. It kind of feels like a dream come true sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any words of advice for the new speech pathologist mm. for starting out who wants to get into the med SLP field? Well, the good news for you is that the information is there for you if you want it. Um, a lot of it's free or or affordable. Um, but if it's not, you know, hook up with someone that is. You could be a mentor. Could be a mentor for you. I had a lot of mentors along the way. Um, we really have to work together here to support the next generation of clinicians because there's just too much to learn. Grad schools can't cover it all, and they probably never will. So you just have to be really motivated and understand. You're still going to be doing some homework and things throughout the next couple of years, but hopefully you'll have a little more fun doing it. Excellent. One final question. What is one piece of advice you would give that somebody might not agree with? Oh boy. That's someone might not agree with. Okay. Um, Just because someone tells you no, doesn't mean that it's right. If you believe in something and you know, it's right. And you, you get told, no, I want you to know, I want you to think about it and still advocate even when you're told no, but here's how you do it with a smile on your face and with good positive energy, because that's what people, when people get excited about your excitement, they're going to be more on board with what you have to say. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was great. Thank you for having me. today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. 
Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.